Um, I am a pastor with the Assemblies of God. Uh, if you don't recognize me, it's probably because I'm always downstairs. <laughs> so I'm a pastor to children and families, and that is um, what I love to do. I love to call future generations to faith in Christ. Um, it's actually something we're going to talk about today. So today we're going to focus in on mentorship and um, being a mentor and what that looks like and, and how we should do it. The title for today is Beyond Myself. So Pastor Pablo asked you last week the question, now what? And uh, my suggestion is this what? <laughs> this is it. You're supposed to live beyond yourself. And we're going to get into that today with a focus on three concepts or words, availability, investment, and movement. Availability, investment, and movement. So as we talk about mentors today, I, I want to bring up this um, experience that I've had. In the past year or so, I've had a lot of conversations with people around my age um, that want mentors. And I realize when I say around my age, <laughs> um, you know, that could be pretty wide <laughs> variables. Um, once I became an adult, I pretty much just figured we were all like on the level playing field as far as like, we're all kind of the same age, right? I mean, unless you're like really old. Um, and I don't really know what the really old is, but <laughs> I just assume we're all kind of the same, right? We're all adults now. Um, however, since Pastor Pablo joined us, he often reminds me that I'm a good 10 years older than him. And so maybe now I'm towards that older stage, I don't know. But uh, we've had a lot of conversations with people lately that are just looking for a mentor. They just want to be invested in, right? And that makes sense. We're relational beings. We see that at the beginning of time, right? God created human beings, and the one thing he said in creation that wasn't good was that man was alone. That's not good. That's not going to work. Let me fix that. And so it makes sense that we want a mentor. But today, as we're talking about mentors, we're going to look at Elijah and Elisha. I realize that can get confusing, <laughs> right? They sound so similar. These names are so similar, and it's hard. So I'm going to teach you like my father taught me. Uh, he was an elementary teacher, so just like any good elementary teacher, he's going to teach you to remember this with this trick. Alphabetical order, okay? Alphabetical order. The older prophet was Elijah, spelled with a J. The younger prophet who came after him was Elisha, spelled with an S-H, okay? So if you were confused for all these years, there's your little tip. Elijah came before Elisha, all right? <laughs> it's helpful, it is, right? Um, it was on the more spiritually mature man to look for someone to pour into. And so all these conversations that I've had with people recently ended with the person saying, man, I really want a mentor. I'm gonna think and pray about who I can go ask to be that for me in my life. And I really got thinking about Elijah and Elisha and saying, actually, that's not how the story goes. Elijah found Elisha. And so we might need to shift our thinking when it comes to mentorship today. We might need to change that up a little bit. The discipleship relationship was the mentor finding the mentee. I'm going to start off with a little brief history lesson. I think it's very important for us to understand the history of what was going on in Bible times as well as the culture 
It just gives us a greater understanding of what was happening and why God was doing the things he was doing, right? Um, I teach that to the kiddos all the time. Like, you need to understand these things so that when you read the Bible, it makes more sense to you. So First and Second Kings, um, the books of First and Second Kings describe the death of Israel as a nation. It opens up with the death of King David, and then his son Solomon comes along and introduces idols, right? He strays away from Yahweh, and idol worship becomes a thing. We see that the nation then divides into two parts, the northern half and the southern half, and then Assyria and Babylon come in and take them over, and it's literally just over and over again. The people of Israel are in a constant cycle of living for God and walking away from God. They're influenced by various things, pagan rituals, the culture around them, coming from different people groups. I'd like us to focus in for a second on King Ahab and his wife Jezebel because the Bible actually says that King Ahab made God even more angry than anyone before him. He was bad, right? He was not a good dude, and here's why. Because he allowed his wife to bring in Baal worship, the worship of a false god, and it distracted the people. It turned them away from Yahweh, the one true God, to worship a false god. It doesn't seem to make much sense, but it's what happened. And so God was very frustrated with that, and rightly so, right? And we see that Elijah shows up on the scene, and he's gonna prove, right? He's gonna show them, hey, no, no, there's one true God. He's in charge. So he tells them, it's not gonna rain. It's just not gonna rain. Uh, okay. <laughs> so after three years of no rain, this becomes a problem. Right now there's crazy drought and a severe famine. And we see Elijah and Ahab meet. And Elijah, I kind of like him, because he's kind of spunky, right? He's like, hey, I'm gonna challenge you to a little duel, right? Let's have a contest. Let's just see how Baal is gonna answer you guys and how God is gonna answer me. Let's just see, right? Let's just, let's try, let's see what happens. And so they have 450 prophets of Baal, right, who have the sacrifice set up, and they're going to call down fire, and Baal's going to take care of that, burn it up, and they're going to prove to Elijah that Baal is real. Well, obviously, that does not happen, right? They try everything. They're praying. They're dancing. They're even cutting themselves. They're going crazy, asking for Baal to answer, and he doesn't. And this is the part of the story, again, I kind of like Elijah, right? He's, he's kind of similar to my personality. He kind of ribs him a little, right? Uh, the kids like this part of the story, too. So Elijah starts teasing him, right? Oh, oh, is Baal on vacation? Is that why he's not answering? Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Kids love that, guys. <laughs> right? He starts teasing these prophets of Baal, saying, Psh, that's why Baal's not answering him. He's just busy. Finally, Elijah steps up and says, now watch. But this is too easy. So instead of just having my God send fire to burn up this sacrifice, I want you to wet this altar. And I want it good and soaked. I don't want one douse of water. I want it doused three times. So much water that everything's saturated and there's a trench around it filled up with water. That's what I want it to look like. And so we see in 1 Kings 18, 
38 and 39. That when Elijah speaks and calls for fire, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw that, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. At this point, Jezebel is not too happy. (laughs) Elijah has made a public spectacle of Baal, right, calling out that he is a false god. He has no power. He certainly doesn't control nature like they thought he did because he didn't send any fire. The one true God answered and sent fire. So obviously, again, needless to say, she's not happy, so she calls for Elijah's death. She says, I'm gonna come after you because you destroyed all my prophets. God took care of that, 450 prophets destroyed. I'm gonna come after you. So he flees to a desert and he hides in a cave. And I wanna take a moment to stop the story and point this out because I think there's a lot of us who at times in our life would say, I can't do certain things for the Lord. I am not like those Bible people. I am just not strong like them. I'm not bold like them. I don't know what I need to know like them. Uh Uh-uh. That's just not so. Look at this. Elijah just called for no rain, and God did it for three years. Elijah called down heaven, called down fire from heaven, and God did it, and destroyed prophets. And yet, the threat of a queen on his life scares him so much that he is going to run and hide. He's just like us, guys. He is not any holier or better than us. We can be used by God just like Elijah. All right, I know, moving on. So he is feeling despaired and discouraged, just like we can feel. But here's also what I want to point out. He listened for God's voice. He made himself available to hear what God wanted to say to him. In the next passage of scripture, we see that God gently guides Elijah. 1 Kings 19, 9 through 13 says this. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah responded, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And Elijah stood there. The Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's here that God speaks to Elijah and gives him his next assignments. He lovingly tasks him. God doesn't lecture him or chastise him. He simply asks the question, what are you doing here? 
Because God had not told Elijah to go hide in a cave, right? He often told him where to go and what to do, but he had not told him that. Elijah was there because of his own fear, his own discouragement, and his loneliness. The first question that I want you to consider today is, are you available to hear from God? In the midst of whatever turmoil you are facing, are you willing to listen for the revelation that God has for you, just like Elijah was available to listen? Because I love the way that God sees and knows exactly what Elijah's going through. He sees how down he is, how low he is, and he doesn't make him feel worse, but he also doesn't allow him to stay where he was. God gives Elijah his next assignment right then and there, even at a time when he was at a low. One of those things that Elijah was told to do was to go anoint Elisha as his successor. And so Elijah goes and finds Elisha and in a symbolic way announces that he'll be his successor. And we see that in 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Japhat, plowing in a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing the fifth team, or the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh, and he passed the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. So remember, right before this, Elijah was ready to give up. He was in such a down spot, he was ready to go, but he literally actually sat down under a tree and told the Lord, I've had enough, just take my life, I'm done. <laughs> well, Thank goodness he calmed down a bit uh, and made himself available to hear the voice of God and then to obey. He decided, okay, I've got my next assignments. I'm going to go. I'm going to go find Elisha. And this obedience on Elijah's part brings me to the second question I want to ask you today. Are you willing to invest in others? So are you available to hear God's voice? And are you willing to invest in others? Elijah left his place of safety and solitude in that cave, and he went to pursue Elisha with the purpose of pouring into his life and passing on his spiritual mantle. And in those days, um, a prophet who wanted to signify that he was choosing someone would do that. He would take his cloak and cloak it over the person momentarily, and that was a symbolic passing on of the office. It meant that the older prophet was ready to invest in the younger prophet. Elijah was calling Elisha from a life on a farm to a life serving God with him. There's many of you actually in this church that have invested in me. I grew up in this church. And so I could name off Sunday school teachers and missionette leaders and Bible quiz coaches and fine arts leaders, probably even some adults who would meet me out in the halls running around and teach me church standards. <laughs> There's a lot of people that have invested in my life here at church. Um, but I want to bring up one person in particular, and that's uh, Kathy Buhuniak. So Kathy was my missionettes leader, my sponsor, for four consecutive years. 
that's a long time <laughs> with me, um, but she made it, she made it through. And I wanna bring up the point that while she had us girls for four consecutive years, right, I am sure she taught us like countless Bible stories and different lessons from the curriculum. But what really stands out and is memorable even today as an adult is her passing on of her personal faith stories. That's what I remember. Her teaching us and showing us how she lived out her faith in everyday lives. I mean, I think that's why sharing testimonies is so important. That's actually a huge part of the Jewish culture too. Oral tradition, just, just teach the children, teach them about what God Almighty has done. Um, and we really should be doing that today too. I mean, they would set up a pile of stones by a river and the kids would walk by and say, what's that? Some pile of stones, what's that about? And the parents would say, oh, let me tell you what that's about. That is when God moved and we saw him show up in our lives. That's important. One story that sticks out from Kathy was that she lost a ring. And I wanna say it was her wedding ring, but I'm not really sure, so don't quote me on that. But she lost a ring and she was praying to find it. She was looking everywhere. Um, and then eventually she just decided, you know what? I've done my part, I've looked around, I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna ask God to put it back where I've already looked. Just put it back where I've already looked, Lord, because I wanna know that it was you that found me my ring. And so she waited a day or two, and then she found it. And I wanna say it was something like absurd, right? Like right on her bedstand, or something clearly where she had already looked. And then she was able to testify about God's goodness and faithfulness and even the small things in our lives. Like I lost my ring and I wanted to find it, and God found it for me. Well, that is true, I do that now. Because Kathy taught us that in missionettes, now I do that. A couple months ago, I had lost something, and I was looking everywhere, and then I decided, you know what? Let me bring my kids into this, like Kathy brought us into it, and I taught them, hey, I have looked for this thing, I cannot find it, now the prayer is gonna be, God, put it back somewhere where I've already looked, so that I can know that it's you, and I can testify about your faithfulness. And sure enough, God found that thing and put it right back in a spot that I absolutely looked. There's no questions. I looked where he put it. And I was so thankful because really, that's what it's about. This passing on of our faith from one generation to the next generation. It isn't all about this right here in a church study together. It is about daily living out our faith and passing it on to the the younger or the less spiritually mature. As we head into my third point, I'd like to consider the scene for a moment of Elijah calling Elisha. So Elisha's working on some plowing, Elijah walks up to him and chooses him by throwing his cloak over his shoulders. Now, I just wanna point out, it's probably not as weird back then as it is for us reading it now. Like it's not completely stranger danger like our parents have warned us against, right? Because there's no way that Elisha doesn't know who Elijah is, right? Even without social media back then, okay, to like talk about Elijah and all that he's doing, Elisha is a farmer. He's working on plowing fields. Don't tell me that the farmers didn't know who Elijah was. He's that man that made it stop raining for three years, right? He's the one that's making this ground so hard to plow. So he absolutely knows who Elijah is and the reality of who he's about to partner with 
as he's being called by Elijah, because it's probably also well known that King Ahab and Queen Jezebel do not like this man and want him dead. And so there's this moment, right, where Elisha has to decide. Do I stay with the life that I've always known and that I'm comfortable with, or do I go? Do I move? Do I move on and take a risk? So we've talked about Elijah being available to hear from God's voice and being willing to invest in someone. And now we're going to look at Elisha's choice. And the last question I have for you today is, are you willing to go all in? It's a funny little story about a pig and a chicken uh, who hear about a church's program to feed the hungry and they discuss it in the barnyard one day. Oh yeah, that's a good, it's a worthy cause. We should, maybe we should think of something that we could do to help out. And so the pig and the chicken are talking about ideas and finally the chicken says, hey, I've got it. I know exactly what we can do. We'll provide bacon and eggs for the church to feed the hungry. And the pig thinks about it and says, you know, your suggestion, there's one problem with your suggestion. The problem with your bacon and egg solution is that for you, it only requires a contribution. But for me, it means total commitment, right? And how silly little story, but it's true that life for Christ requires total commitment. If you look at the history of the Israelite people, God gets really frustrated when they turn from him, yeah. But there's actually another concept that he talks about. There are some kings that maybe didn't worship idols, but they also didn't worship him wholeheartedly. And that was very displeasing to God. Elisha did go all in, right? We see from him his story, he didn't go put his oxen away in the barn, I might be back later if this whole you know, mentorship thing doesn't work out with Elijah, so I'll just tuck them away. No, no, he decided to live sold out for God. He wanted God's agenda to be his life. He had no backup plan. He was willing to move, to leave the life he had always known and was probably pretty comfortable considering what an operation he was a part of. That was a big operation that he was part of. And so he served. We see that Elijah served for years, traveling with Elijah, tending to his needs, and assisting him. And then we see in Scripture that Elisha does even greater things than Elijah. And isn't that what we all want for our kids or for those we're mentoring? We want them to be better, stronger, more bold than we are. I just love that. I think often when we read the Bible or even in other stories like novels, we often tend to kind of put ourselves in the place of the different characters, right? And so today I want you to think for a moment, um, who are you kind of putting your, your, uh, yourself in the place of? Elijah, Elisha, or even the people of Israel? So the characteristics we see in Elisha are that he was faithfully working at what he was doing at the time of his call, and then he served willingly for many years before ever becoming the main show. Maybe most of us would identify with Elisha waiting to be plucked from obscurity <laughs> and poured into by a mentor. But I want to challenge you with this, because I mentioned this early, earlier, that 
maybe we have to change the way we understand mentorship. And that if we are already a follower of Christ, we really should be the Elijah in the story. Because if we were all finding people that God speaks to us about to invest in, there probably wouldn't be all these conversations that I'm having with people saying, man, I just gotta go find a mentor. I gotta find someone to pour into me. If we were being obedient to pray and seek God's voice, to know who we are supposed to invest in, there maybe wouldn't be such a need for people crying out for mentors. I brought up that you might see yourself more like the Israelites. And so we spent a little time on that history there where they were constantly back and forth between blending in with culture and devotion to God. And if that's you, I'd like to encourage you to evaluate your life and identify ways that you have strayed from godly, biblical principles. The Israelites were supposed to live counter-culturally. We are supposed to live counter-culturally. The moral decay of the people of Israel increased every time they allowed the culture around them to cause them to take their eyes off of Yahweh, the one true God. He called them to a standard that was different from popular culture and the same is true for us. Since I have the pulpit, I never usually do, I feel like this needs to be said, church. Jesus was kind and loving towards non-believers. He was gentle and peaceable with those who were outside of the Jewish faith. It's true that his standards are steadfast and should not be bent or watered down. But I want you to notice something from his example in scripture. He did not blast unbelievers with harsh words to show them the error of their ways. No. His strongly spoken, very pointed words were for the religious of his day. The Christians of his time was who he corrected over and over and over again. Please, church, love those around you. Listen to those around you. Have conversations and not shouting matches with those who are different than you. I realize I could go on and on. I will get off my soapbox. Those of you who know me know I could go on forever, so I'll stop. (laughs) Now that we've heard a word from the Bible, you gotta do something with it. It's not enough to come here, listen, and leave. You gotta respond. I teach the kids this downstairs, and sometimes I think even the adults feel a little uncomfortable. (laughs) The kids are getting used to it. But I make sure there's a quiet time at the end of teaching so they can quiet themselves and ask God, what do you want from me now? I've heard this truth, now what do I do with it? And so we're gonna spend some time in a few minutes here quieting ourselves and listening. So here's some instruction for you. We've heard about being available to hear from God, being willing to invest in others, and being willing to go all in. If you are already a follower of Christ, then you've been called to mentor future generations. There's no question about it. It is clear in scripture that we are to disciple those around us. In Matthew 28, it states our mission is to tell people about God and help them grow by discipling them. 
Pastor Pablo actually encouraged all of you to make sure you know that scripture last week, to know what God is calling his followers to do in the passage that we call the Great Commission. There's a great quote from an unknown source that says, the most significant contribution we make in life is the passing of our faith to the next generation. And I believe that to be so. Eternal investment in future generations is essential. Because if we don't influence younger believers and help guide them as they build their faith in God through Bible study, then they're easily going to be swayed to buy into culture's messages. As a children's pastor, I can confidently tell you that our children and our teenagers are being bombarded with messages in our culture at younger and younger ages. And if we don't invest in the young or the new believers, I believe we're going to see a drastic decline in Christ's followers who actually have a biblical worldview. Biblical worldview. Please notice that I'm specifically bringing to your attention that we learn God's standards through studying his word. It's a dangerous practice that began with the Israelites and is still mimicked currently to look at the culture of our day and then adjust what biblical principles we want to follow and we do not want to follow based on popular belief or what's most comfortable. This is not what God wants from his followers. He wants us set apart. He wants us leading the way in love. And he wants us to be bold with each other as iron sharpens iron. Sometimes we have to have those hard conversations with each other, don't we? But it's worth it. Let's live in a way that demonstrates that even our faith is not just about us, but it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be an example to help others grow in spiritual maturity. So if you're already a believer, this is what I want you focused in on when we go to pray. You're listening and you're asking God to speak to you about who you should be investing in. And there could be a name that pops into your head. And maybe it's right now during prayer time or maybe it's on the way home. I don't know. But I know our God wants to speak to us and I expect him to do that. So that covers listening to God, investing in others. But then these next set of instructions are for those of you who are not yet all in. Maybe you've never made the decision to ask Jesus to become a part of your life. I say to the kids, to be the boss of your life, to help you figure out what to do. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be your boss. So I want to give you that opportunity. But then maybe some of you have made that decision, but you're kind of living like some of those kings where you're not really fully in the world, but you're not really fully in your faith either. And you need to evaluate that and wholeheartedly turn everything over to God. 